We're going to be thinking this morning about praying for one another. And I think I have never felt so vulnerable and so, yeah, difficult to deal with this topic because it's such a big thing. And usually it's very easy to pray for things if they've got, or pray for people if they've got specific things. And I think as a church, I believe that God is really challenging us that we need to look at the prayer life. As elders, as leaders, we pray for you on Wednesdays regularly. But I think there is more than that. And also there is more than that for us as a body of believers. So, um, again, this goes back to that basic foundational passage that we looked in the beginning of the series from 1 Corinthians 12, when we says that actually nobody can say we don't need one another. We all need one another. And today we're going to be looking at the significance, the importance of, of praying together. I'm going to be reading from Colossians chapter 1, verses 3 to 14. And uh, we're going to stop at moments because I, I'd like to have some interaction this morning. So here's Paul writing to a church in Asia Minor. He's never been there. He's not visited them. And yet he wants to write to them a personal letter. So here we go in verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of, those, uh, and of the love that you have for all God's people. The faith and the love that springs from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard and the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who told us of your love in the Spirit. And for this reason, since the day we have heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, Growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so you might have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of life. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we've got redemption, the forgiveness of sins. May God's name be glorified 
through the reading of his word. Amen. So here we've got an apostle who is addressing a group of believers which he has heard from, heard of, third hand, from Epaphras. And yet, he wants something to be concrete in his prayers. It was March 1997. There was a lot of turmoil in other parts of Albania. 13th of March 1997, the turmoil arrived in my city. We were facing an anarchy as a result of people going and putting a lot of money into the pyramidal schemes. And as we all know, that all fell into pieces. And people, those that were in the early stages of the pyramidal schemes, became richer, and then they became greedier, and then they joined the bigger scheme and so forth, until everything went bankrupt until all the people that had put their all life savings, they even sold whatever they had gone into the schemes, they lost everything. And yet, our church in the city was trying to witness. The situation became so bad that the missionaries had to be um, helped out with the army or with American army or uh, the Italian navy, being out of Albania. So what was more interesting was that for those who decided to stay, missionaries, they send their wives and children away. But the church, the witness, remained because again, there was so much despair and so much terrible, terrible situation. I look at this passage and it reminds me of the situation that I have never, ever seen in my life or witnessed in my life as a Christian, a community of faith to be praying big, 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 long, fervent prayers. I've never witnessed it. And looking in retrospect... And visiting back and forth Albania now that all the situation has passed, I just wonder and ask the question, why did we pray so fervently? Why did we pray in the way that we prayed? Was it because we were in trouble? Or was it because we had this conviction that actually we need to pray in every situation. I grapple a lot with that because I really need to guard the motivations of my heart. But what we're hearing here, what we're seeing in the passage here, is that we've got an apostle, we've got somebody who has encountered God, and his attitude towards prayer is that he wants to pray regardless of what the situation is. He wants to pray regardless of what the people are, as long as they are 
the people of God to whom God has really reconciled to himself. So here we've got a prayer that actually is not a shopping list. Here we've got a prayer that we don't often hear because it sounds very spiritual. It sounds too holy sometimes for us even to digest it and take it in. But we've got here a heartful prayer which is made by a man of God for his people. And for that reason I started the service this morning with thankfulness. Because actually, what does scripture say? To to the one who is forgiven more, he is more thankful. And here we've got this apostle who's experienced God's grace. And of course, Regardless, well, whether he has been beaten, whether he has been imprisoned, whether he has been kicked out of the city, whether he has been actually denied by his fellow Jewish people, he is convinced that he is going to continue to preach this good news of the gospel. And therefore, a note of thankfulness is a good start. What are the things that I thank God for you? What are the things that you as individuals thank God for Cairns family? What are the things that you thank God for particular individuals in this community of faith? For that reason, I thought today would be good to have some interactive because I know that there are people here who pray for this church. I know who people who pray for us as leaders. I know that there are people who pray for one another. And I think this is an opportunity for us not only to hear what Paul has to say to us, but it's an opportunity for us as well to share what is the prayers that you guys, that I as a leader, as other leaders here, pray for this community of faith. So... Without losing a lot of time, I'd like for us for the next three or four minutes to, to have an open mic, if it's possible, and just be brief and be succinct with the way that you pray for this church, if you wanted to share that. And then um, I'd like to share something as well. Did I leave the mic with Andy? Thank you. Uh-huh. It is still here, and it's still preaching the gospel. We've been here 25 <coughs> years. We've seen the church go up and down and sideways. And by the grace of God, it's still preaching the gospel. That wouldn't have happened without the Holy Spirit. So praise God for that. Great. Fantastic. Anybody else has got any things that they thank God for, cans for individuals here. Catherine. Um, I've been going to church for about two and a half years now, and I've been going to church all my life. And I have to say this is 
the most loving church I've ever belonged to. So thank you. Thank you. <coughs> I'm being quiet is I'm going to say something that wasn't quite what Mark was asking for, but it was prompted by something you said. Okay, I will do that later then. Thing to do to support 
not just the girlfriends as individuals, but the children as individuals, so that they are welcomed as people and not as add-ons to the adults. sharing. What am I thankful for as one of the leaders here? I am very grateful to God for each and every one of you who, in the same tone um, as Paul, um, is on the journey of exploring what's Faith and what does walking with Jesus means in the downs and in the ups. I'm grateful for the patience that you have shown with us as leaders. I'm grateful for the endurance actually that having a church go through interim for a long time and you've held there and you've hung there. And I'm really grateful for that. Also, I'm grateful for those people who helped me to to lead this church spiritually. And what I mean by that is I'm helpful for the fellow elders. I'm I'm grateful for Hilary, for Jonti. I'm grateful for the guys who lead and do all the hard work to reach out to the Uh, senior citizens every Tuesday. I'm grateful for those who are out there um, preaching the gospel. All those things that have got a spiritual dynamic into that. And I'm very grateful for those who lead us every Sunday in worship here and help us to put our walk with God into, into the center of our lives. But also I'm very grateful to all those of you who do things in the background without notice those who committedly do all the setups for stuff the chairs the projection the setting up the, I'm grateful for Jenny who does all of the hard work of running the office and I'm really grateful that In all of this, we're all doing this because we are very passionate about God's kingdom to come in this city, to come in this neighborhood. And I I can truly testify that and witness that, that we're not doing this because we have nothing else to do, but we're doing this because we want to see God at work in our midst. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you've got for God's people. And faith and love that springs from hope stored for us in heaven about you which you have already heard 
and the true message of the gospel. So here we've got Paul again. Love, faith, hope. He does it in Thessalonians. He does it in Corinthians. He does it in Colossians. It's this, this triangle of all these things that are truly marks of a community of faith. And also he says, I'm grateful for the gospel that is bearing fruit, not only here, but throughout the whole world. So the message of the good news is not only for us, Cairns people, but it's giving fruit, it's being passed on, it's transforming communities all over the world. And that's the beauty of the message of the gospel. So what are the things that we pray for our community of faith? What are the things that we, we contemplate with? What are the things that we, we grapple with God with when it comes to cans? Well, perhaps you're sitting here today and you're saying, well, actually, I prefer to, to look at individuals and say, what are their needs on a needs basis? Or what am I assuming that their needs are? And I'll work on that base. Sometimes we look into the situations and we say, oh, perhaps this situation needs more attention than the others when we come to God to prayer. But what are some of the things that we regularly pray for the people of God? And I think... For me, it's very hard to come to this place because it's, it's a place where I have to examine my heart. It's a place where I have to come to God and I don't come with complaints or judgments about people, about you, about the church. But it's the, the place, as Jane said a little bit earlier, the place of worship that place where I say, God, you are God, and we are your people. And in examining our hearts, the truth of the matter is that unless we go through the scriptures, I don't think we're able to pray properly for one another. And we've got so many models here in the Scriptures, in the New Testament, of how the apostles, how people, even how Jesus taught his own disciples what to pray for, when they said, teach us to pray. And for me, it's the place where I see my prayer for you and for others to be reformed, if that makes any sense, to be purposeful, to be intentional, because... I've got the tendency to have a shopping list in my prayer. I've got a tendency to pray about certain situations and leave behind or leave aside other situations. And I have to come back to the scriptures, come back to this and grapple with this and battle with this because actually this is the core things that we ought to pray for one another. Now, Part of the thankfulness Paul for his people, his dear people in Colossae, was this petition that he has. From verse 9 he says, after I've given this big thanks to, to God for these people, he says, for this reason, 
since the day we've heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. If there is a challenging word for me in all these verses, it's not a word, but it's the concept of non-stop prayer. What does that look like in a such a fast-paced Bristolian life? What does it look like in a week that has got only seven days and we can do with another seven on top? What does it look like in a day that has got 24 hours and we can do another 24 on top? And what, the, what is the struggle here? The struggle here is that we cannot balance rights our time with God, our time that we need to be in our knees with God, and the balance of the rest of our lives, i.e. family, i.e. jobs, i.e. other commitments that come, because that's how we are. And I think the challenge here is also, how do I do this in a God-honoring way when I'm doing church stuff for most of the week as an individual? And what is the place of prayer here? And what does Paul mean with not stopping? I believe it's quite telling. I believe it's that mentality that significantly we make the daily commitments, we make, make that every hour commitment that we are relying on God constantly. We're relying on God constantly for ourselves, but we're relying also on God constantly for his people and ultimately for his kingdom. So what is Paul praying for the Colossians here that we can learn something? He says, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom. And what Paul, here is, what Paul is saying here is not whether it's God's will to get a sports car or not. Whether to go with a washing machine with a dryer built in or not. He knows very well what he's talking about because he has reminded them in Romans 12, verse 2, what the good will is. Let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 12 and we say what the will of God is. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in the view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasant unto God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, 
then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. This is the will that Paul is praying for the Colossians. This is the will that God wants. That will that actually God has given it. And our responsibility is to do it. Get on with it. And not negotiate it. But not only that. He says we continually ask God that he fills you with wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. Here we've got a community of faith in Colossae, Asia Minor, flirting away with syncretism, flirting away with materialism, flirting away with pluralism, And yet God has called them to be his church. Does that ring any bell with us in the 21st century? What about Bristol? What about here? The church here? Are we flirting with syncretism? Are we flirting with pluralism? And do we need to have that Knowledge, that knowledge of the wisdom and the understanding, not what the, girl, the world gives, not what our friends think, not what our advisors advise us, but what the Spirit of God gives. And every time we talk about the Spirit, I tend to forget that I talk about the Holy Spirit. And there is that element of holiness that he brings in that wisdom and knowledge. What else does he pray for? He prays these things so the knowledge of his will through the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. Please him in every way. He's referring to a culture which is fear and shame. And I come from that culture. And I know that my consequences not only bring shame to me as an individual, but back home I'm known as the son of somebody else. And that son of somebody else is the son of a bigger family. So that element of shame is kind of transferred and it brings this big pressure on people who live on this shame and fear culture. And I think it's the same kind of mentality here that actually what Paul is wanting for them is that each and every one in Colossae lives a life which does not put to shame Christ, ultimately, but also their fellow fellow Christians, brothers and sisters. And what does this look like? To live a life that is worthy of the Lord and pleasing unto Him. Well, he says there, verse 10, you bear fruit in every good work. 
You grow in the knowledge of God. You're being strengthened with all power. And you may have great endurance and patience. And ultimately, and lastly, verse 12, giving joyful thanks to the Father. What does this look like? What does a life living worthy of the Lord, what does it mean to please Him with everything? Well, what does it look like to bear fruit? What does it look like for us to grow in the knowledge of God? And it's not just that head knowledge. But it's that constant engagement that we want to know Him more. Before we started the service, Jane prayed, we think we know you, but we don't. And sometimes as Christians, we come to that place that because we've got a good knowledge of the Scriptures, we assume that we're getting to know Him. And you see that in the life of Jesus and the way that He trained His disciples, that knowing Him is not just that head information. It's not only the intellectual property that we've got about Him. But to know Him is to live with Him to, to know him is to, to be always in that constant, constant, constant expectation that you want to know him more because you know him very little. Being strengthened with all power that you might have great endurance and patience. How do we deal with these two virtues in such an impatient world? And above all, giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. So here we've got a community of faith. Here we've got an apostle who is praying specifically for a church in Colossae. Here we've got a model of prayer. What are we going to do with this? I want to suggest one thing. As we look at this prayer, and perhaps you would go in more thorough detail than I went today, I'd like us to do something this week if we can, if we get a chance, and I'd like to suggest that we get a chance, an opportunity, that we pray this prayer for one another this week. And we take truths and we take things, areas of this prayer, and we bring them to different situations that we as a community of faith are involved with, as a body of believers. Those who are serving here during the week, whether cafe, whether Noah's Ark, whether seniors' lunch, whether youth groups, whether children's groups, whether you name it. Or perhaps you'd like to pray this prayer for a particular group that God puts in your heart. And I'd really encourage you that you take elements of this prayer 
And you make them as an exercise to pray specifically. Perhaps you want to pray for us as leaders. I don't mind you praying this for me. Actually, I'd love for you to pray this prayer for me. But I also make a promise that I want to pray this prayer for you this week. As I think of the places where you are, places of where you are working, places that you are looking after people, looking after grandchildren, ministering. Because I think it's so, so much meat in it that we cannot do it a favour with 25 minutes of a sermon. But we can do something with this. Take it home and pray for one another. Pray for situations and see and expect God to answer it. Is that all right? Yeah? And then probably what I would like to hear next Sunday is that we go a bit further with this and say, we've prayed this for Cairns this week. I've prayed this for this particular situation this week. And this is how God has answered it. So we're not, Paul is not praying this prayer just to sound good and to do a lip service to the Colossians. He is praying this prayer expecting God to answer him. So I want to encourage you this morning, afternoon, to pray this prayer expecting God to answer it. And we come back with some good answers to prayer. Is that alright? Great. Get some homework. I think I'm going to stop here. And I want to commit us to God in this. So Father God, we come to you. And for such a challenging passage, Lord, we say that we want to learn to depend on you more and more, Lord, for one another. And as we pray this prayer, Lord, for one another this week, would you teach us? Would you reveal to us, Lord, and would you lead us to specific areas, Lord, that we could pray and intercede for one another this week? But we want to do this, Lord, with expectations that you are a God that answers prayers. And also, Lord, we want to do this, as Paul advised us to do so, with gratefulness in our hearts. Grateful for the gospel message that is continuing to be preached through this community, Lord. Grateful for the work that you do through us. Grateful, Lord, for the work that you do in us. And grateful, Lord, for the way that you have given us love so we can reflect it to other people. Grateful for the faith that you've put in our hearts, Lord, to trust you. And also, Lord, for the hope of the future. 
So here we come, Lord, as our body, as your body, as a body of believers, one thing, to learn to pray more for one another. And if we struggle, Lord, with finding time, would you please help us? Would you make time for us? Would you enable us? In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.